Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You are listening to the One Good Scare podcast with Natalie Zamora and Max Mello. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new episode of the One Good Scare podcast. I'm Natalie Zamora and I'm here with my co-host Max Mallow and we have finally made it to the end of the Fear Street trilogy on Netflix. We've been reviewing the movies every week. We also interviewed Jeremy Ford who is in two of these movies and I would say this has been a really good time watching the movies and reviewing them as well. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed all three of these movies. Um, the second one more so than the other two. Um, but they're good. Like they're not like something to slouch at and just be like, yeah, this is campy garbage horror movies. All these were a fun watch. I think it was a, a nice bright spot in the summer when it comes to, to horror movies, especially on Netflix who we've, you know, criticized over the past couple of months of just having a kind of a weak offering when it comes to horror movies. And, uh, you know, I watched two or three, of these movies with my girlfriend, we 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 enjoyed them, um, and excited to review part three, sixteen sixty six, with a little bit of a twist at the <laughs> the middle point of this movie, which was fun. Um, just uh, I think it'll uh, be important to see kind of you know how we rank all three of these movies at the end uh, in terms of our, our enjoyment, the, the all the things that make horror movies good, you know, scares, twists gore kills all those things so super excited to review this one and then kind of give a our big uh summary on the entire trilogy yeah so before we get into our episode we need to shout out manscaped so you know the olympics the euros baseball concerts all these things go on in summer but you know what doesn't go on in summer not grooming yourself you should clean up with our friends at manscaped who are the leaders in below the waist grooming their fourth generation performance package includes the brand new lawnmower 4.0 i know we've talked about this lawnmower on the show before um great product you know, if, if an athlete treats their body like royalty, why not treat your hair like Olympic gold? All the men listening, do right by your balls and join 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com with the code FANSIDED20. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Again, if you didn't hear that, 20% off and free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Just go to manscaped.com. Don't you get it? Free shipping, 20% off. How many times? I should have said it 20 times for 20% off. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I'll never win an Olympic gold medal. So that line in the second paragraph was great. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Yeah, you know, excited for the Olympics to start. Uh, I've been loving baseball season. The fact that I've been able to go to a ballpark multiple times this year has, like, already made this year infinitely better than last year. So. 
Yeah. Thanks for that live read. And uh, now it's time to get into everyone's favorite segment of the show, which is the weekly horror news roundup where Natalie scours the internet for everything you need to know. And sometimes she doesn't notice things and I have to find some things and it's only one thing, but it's probably the most hype thing of the segment, which we're super excited to talk about, but that'll be at the end. You know, we can't give it away right now. So you skip ahead and you don't care about everything else that goes in the horror news roundup because Natalie does a good job finding everything. Um, first piece of news is that a Army of the Dead sequel is actually going to be coming uh, to Netflix, which Zack Snyder himself has confirmed, but it won't be happening for a while, considering that he's got all these other things going on. You know, we talked about, was it a week or two ago, that he's doing some kind of Star Wars-inspired film, but not really mm-hmm. set in the Star Wars universe, and it was pitched as a Star Wars movie. So there's that. There's the animated uh, series coming alongside Army of the Dead. There's the prequel as well. And cool. I was watching Chris, you know, Chris Duckman, you ever heard of Chris Duckman? Mm-mm. He's one of the big YouTube movie uh, critics and he's a director. as oh, well. Right. Um, and I was watching his review of Blade Runner 2049. And the thing that stuck out from that review the most was like, he was like, not everything needs to be a movie that sets up 25 different movies yeah. in a universe. And it's just like a film. And this kind of applies to army of the dead though. <laughs> I think this, like, I guess we can call it a franchise now, will benefit from more content around it because there are a lot of unanswered questions. It's just that I don't think the interest is there outside of, like, mm-hmm. myself. Because <laughs> I love Zack Snyder's zombie movies. So what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm not particularly hyped, but I'm not surprised either like I think we kind of knew think Zack Snyder had talked about you know wanting to do another movie it just hadn't been confirmed yet so I guess it was a no-brainer but yeah I am with you like I don't really care about this I don't I like Zack Snyder and I you know kind of like this movie I did enjoy some parts of it but I don't think it was something where it was like we need more um but I know you're a bigger Zack Snyder fan than me yeah Dawn of the Dead you were a stan before this movie came out yeah his Dawn of the Dead is probably in my top three for horror movies definitely my favorite Mm -hmm. zombie movie of all time and I was so excited for this movie and you guys can go listen to our review of it and the entire time I'm just like this movie I want to like this movie I want to there's just a lot of things that uh, you know, hold it back. And there's a lot of things that we go through our review where we're like, is that on purpose or is that just like bad? And yeah, maybe a sequel will end up helping flesh out this movie. The, I mean, spoiler alert, nobody survives except for the daughter. And one of my favorite parts about the movie and his Dawn of the Dead remake was that the cast and the characters were fun. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that it's going to be a whole new cast kind of is like, Mm, okay, but there is definitely a, a storyline they can go into with uh, Dave Batista's daughter and everything like that. So we'll wait for more information on that. The good thing is apparently it won't happen for a while, so we don't have to worry yeah. about it right now. Uh, the next piece of news uh, for, I guess, horror fans that have kind of joined the genre over the past couple of years um, and kind of, uh, you know, looking for directors that they can attach themselves to with all their product, you know, their projects and the stuff that they really like. Uh, one of the most popular ones from the past couple of years has been Christopher Landon, uh, happy mm-hmm. death day, freaky, both awesome movies, happy death day too, as well. Um, 
but he's got a new movie coming out now, which is going to be called We Have a Ghost, and it's coming on Netflix, and it's a family film, and it's going to star, uh, so far, uh, four actors that, I mean, Christopher Landon and this cast I'm about to read off gets me <laughs> super excited. Um, you've got Captain America, Anthony Mackie. You've got David Harbour, who is now an MCU Mm-hmm. Alum, uh, but you know everyone knows him as Hopper from Stranger Things. You've got Tig Notaro, who we praised in Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, uh, who you know, did an awesome job filling in for, um, or you know replacing Chris replacing Chris D'Elia. Yeah, and all of her sh- uh, scenes were shot on green screen, which you wouldn't know. Awesome job, um, and then Jennifer Coolidge as well. So, and Jennifer Coolidge is. Um, Stifler, legally blonde, <laughs> legally blonde, mom. Um, but yeah, this this uh, it's going to be interesting because Landon's movies definitely have a lighter tone to them uh, mm-hmm. than some of the horror movies that have been extremely popular over the past couple of years, like Hereditary and Midsummer. Freaky has that kind of like high school teen drama going on, and Happy Death Day has the college young adult mm-hmm. drama going on. So. The fact that this seems more like a family film and the cast attached definitely has me interested. Yeah, I'm definitely very, very interested. Yeah, it's being called a family adventure film, whatever else that means. But I mean, adventure, that makes sense for Christopher Landon, like you said, Um, especially Happy Death Day. I mean, the action in that movie is crazy, just in the form of kills. So I'm very curious to see him go into a different genre. And I have confidence that this will probably be at least a fun movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think attaching David Harbour to any Netflix project is super smart. But yeah. Anthony Mackie is literally one of the most popular people in the entire world right now. Um, he's Captain America. <laughs> I don't know if he's still the Falcon. I guess he's both. Captain America Falcon. I don't know. Like, Don't ask me. Me either. Um and then, you know, those who were a fan of Army of the Dead will, will recognize uh, Tig Notaro. And then whenever you can include Stifler's mom in a movie, <laughs> I think is, is a great move. So, yeah, super excited for this one. Um, definitely an A-list cast. And, uh, you know, we'll keep you up to date with any more announcements around that. There's no release date set for it yet, right? No, I don't think so. Has it even begun shooting? I don't think so. <laughs> huh, that's sad. Well, hopefully... Sooner rather than later, because Christopher Landon is awesome. Um, and now, one more piece of news uh, before the piece of news that I talked about <laughs> before the beginning of the the segment. Uh, there's a new trailer for James James Wan's Malignant, um, which looks super good. Obviously, James Wan, The Conjuring, Saw, Fast Five, no Seven. He did one of the Fast Dead and Furious Silence. movies, Dead Silence. Um, this movie, it looks like it's everything that you want from James Wan when it comes to a horror movie, when it comes to establishing a new universe, he is so good at creating new movie universes. It's just that mm-hmm. sometimes there's just too many movies in a universe, like the conjuring all of those movies too much. And he doesn't direct all of them. So then they're just not in capable hands. Sad. Yeah. Too much, too much. But uh, this trailer is spooky. It kind of reminded me of insidious a little bit. what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I really, really liked the trailer. It made me even more confused about what this movie is even about. Um, Of course, it follows um, a protagonist who is played by Annabelle Wallace, who is actually the actress in Annabelle. So they've worked together previously. Um, And 
the trailer, it just looked like she was having dreams and people were getting killed and scary shit was happening. So it made me more interested into kind of what the premise is. Really the only summary I've got here is um, Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. That's scary. Super scary. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the first insidious. I mm-hmm. love yeah. the first conjuring. I love whichever Fast and Furious. I know he did a Fast and Furious movie. I just can't remember which one. It might be Fast Five or it might be Seven. But uh Seven. I think it's seven, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the one where um they do the the, the the ending scene for Paul Walker when him and Vin Diesel drive off uh in different ways. So that was sad. Um but yeah, I mean I don't doubt that this movie is going to be a box office success. Mm-hmm. And it's coming to HBO Max alongside theaters in September. I'm definitely seeing this in theaters because scary movies are just always better in theaters. But I appreciate that. If it's really good, I can watch it again on HBO Max. Very true. Uh, so, yeah, check out the trailer for that. Uh, if you're into James Wan, if you're not into James Wan, what are you doing? Uh, he's one of the most popular directors in the genre. Uh, and then the last piece of news, um, which is definitely the most exciting of the segment, is that it's also like the least information for yep. uh, for a piece of news in this segment is that we now have a poster, not a trailer. We have a poster for Jordan Peele's next movie, and it is called Nope. This is the one we talked about a couple weeks ago that's starring Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Kiki Palmer, and Stephen Yun. And Okay, let's just do a whole breakdown of this poster uh, over audio so people can kind of follow along with us here. I don't know what's going on with this poster. It doesn't look that scary, but the fact that it says a terror from the new mind of Academy Award winner Jordan Peele, I'm like, this is going to be scary as shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what we're looking at right now is a dark and cloudy sky. There's one <laughs> there's one cloud standing out and it looks like it's attached to a kite string. Yeah, I think so. Um and then we're over mountains, we got some grass and then it looks like there's a little town, a little city um right in the center there. So I have no idea what this movie is about. We have a release date, July 22nd, 2022. There's no logline, there's no synopsis. What is this movie going to be about? I don't know, but I can pretty much guarantee you it's going to be the most anticipated movie of 2022. Um, You know, outside of everyone super excited for all the Marvel movies that are going to come out, but this is definitely my most anticipated movie of 2022. Uh, There's an interesting tidbit at the bottom of the poster that says that select sequences were filmed with IMAX cameras, uh, which is, I believe the first time he's experimented Hmm. with IMAX for his horror movies. I didn't see us in IMAX. I don't even know if it was released in IMAX. And then yeah. I actually didn't even see Get Out in theaters. Um, so I think this will be great as an IMAX film if if there are some, some sequences. I mean, obviously the visuals in his horror movie, uh, his horror movies have been awesome. So maybe this is one, I haven't been to an IMAX theater also in just like forever. Same. I haven't been to one in years. Um, so maybe, maybe this will be it. Yeah, I think the last IMAX movie I saw uh, was Deadpool. Oh, I think the last one I saw was Avatar. That was so long. Ago. Whoa, 
That was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, I, I when I was a kid, I was terrified of IMAX screens because they were so big and I was such a tiny, yeah. small little boy. And then <laughs> as I got bigger, I was like, I saw um, the first R-rated movie I ever saw in theaters was at IMAX and it was The Matrix Reloaded. And I was like, this is so cool. Oh. And then as I got older, I was like, my neck hurts looking around this giant screen. Okay. This is annoying. Uh, and then, you know, Theaters are always packed, so you have to sit close and you're looking up all time. So, yeah, yeah. Either way, definitely super excited for Nope, whatever it has to do with a cloud and a kite. Uh, and <laughs> I'm assuming this city that's in the poster is going to play a uh, the main setting of the movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah, more information now, please, Mr. Peel. <laughs> please. He's always he's always very uh, hidden with the information around his horror movies. Yeah, definitely. Us was very different in the promotional content than what the movie was actually about. So, like, not in like a major plot way, but just definitely some of the the points in the movie and you know the entire story. So, mm-hmm. we we shouldn't be drawing too many conclusions from this poster. It's just exciting that we have one. Uh, so yeah, that's your weekly horror news roundup, and now it is time. It's definitely the longest weekly horror news roundup we've ever done. I know. I feel like sometimes we'll have like two pieces of news. Slow news week, but nope. Yeah, we'll like drag it out and be like, all right, so tell me why you're super excited <laughs> about this Ted Bundy movie. <laughs> no. Yeah. So anyway, it's time to get into our view of Fear Street Part 3, 1666, the final one in the R.L. Stein trilogy that has been running on Netflix for the past three weeks. Uh, awesome release schedule. I love that they mm-hmm. did this. Um, you know, kept me excited for all of July for every Friday, something to do. And I'm, I'm curious how these movies would have done if they ended up releasing them in theaters like they originally had planned. I know, especially month by month, too. That would be really interesting. I'm sure they would do really well, but this is just so convenient. I know. It's uh, an awesome strategy that I hope people and maybe some future horror directors kind of take you know it comes to like maybe yeah. like film two movies and release them back to back and do a a big story like that would be super cool um but you know we're no strangers to this really we tv shows have been doing this forever it's just <laughs> it's super cool that like feature length movies especially in the horror genre uh did this so it's been um a fun substitute for what we thought would be a stranger things summer mm-hmm. oh yeah that's a good point yeah, so part three, 1666. First off, if you haven't listened to our review of the first two movies, go ahead and do that. Or if you haven't seen the first two movies, go ahead and do that too. Because <laughs> And watch the third one, because this is going to be a spoiler-ridden review. Um, it's the witch trials, Salem slash Crucible slash <laughs> Massachusetts era style film of the genre uh very easy to pick up on that from all the promotional material and the trailers uh Mm -hmm. it picks up right where the second one ended which is awesome i like that there's no like time jumps at all in this movie they all flow as one connected Mm -hmm. cohesive story and as you know from the end of the second one dina our main protagonist has been transported back to the time of 1666 um seemingly uh, we assume so, uh, mm-hmm. and she is now living life, uh, through the eyes of Sarah fear. Yeah. Which I think it's so awesome. And then we get to see, 
Um, different characters in Sarah Fear's life. We get to see her home life. She lives with her dad. Um, she has a brother named Henry who is played by the actor who plays Josh. Um, and everyone, almost everyone, are actors that we had seen before in the previous movies. Um, there's a pastor and his daughter, Hannah, and Hannah is played by the actress who played Sam. Um, and then there's, you know, just multiple people. Jeremy Ford is in this one. Um, and there are, you know, multiple people from the previous movies. So I know, Max, you would ask me if I liked that stylistic choice. And I told you I definitely did. I thought it kind of made the stakes higher. And it also for Dina's sake too, brought her closer to Sarah Fear in the situation. If she could really see, you know, people in her life in Sarah's life, what did you think? Yeah, this was a conversation that me and my girlfriend were having for like the first 40 minutes of the movie. Um, mm -hmm. And she made a good point that, you know, as the third movie in the film, especially after just doing a whole movie with brand new cast and characters, doing part three with the same faces that we know and giving them a little bit more screen time works. Um, the one thing that I've really liked about some of the character casting here uh, with bringing our 1994 characters back to 1666 is that they're direct descendants of that family. So that makes mm -hmm. sense. I like that a lot. It's just that not all the characters are portraying their ancestors, yeah. which is a little jarring at times. Um, I didn't like hate it. I wasn't like, this is terrible. This movie is ruined. Um, but like, as we'll get into it, uh, Ashley Zuckerman, who plays Nick Good, mm -hmm. is playing Solomon Good, his great, great, great grandfather, <laughs> ancestor. Great, 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 great. <laughs> great, 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 great. Um, so that I really like because I'm like, okay, cool. I can put a face to the family. I totally get that. Uh, mm -hmm. Dina uh, is <laughs> Sarah Fear. And from what we know, they're not related uh, at all. So, yeah. Same thing with uh, Sam's character, uh, Hannah Miller, in the flashback. I don't believe they're related. Mm -hmm. I think... Um, what's her name? Sadie Sink plays a descendant or an ancestor, yeah. right? I'm not sure exactly who she plays. Oh, she plays Constance when I messed up that her name wasn't Constance. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, so they're related. Like, it does make sense to put... Dina in the, the body of Sarah Fear because, you know, main antagonist, main protagonist. Yeah. So seeing life through each other's eyes and shoes, I totally get that. Um, I just wish, you know, as a, a fan of the movie, they just would have gone the extra step to be like, these are direct descendants outside of Dina. I can totally understand the, the Dina bit, and I can totally understand why Josh is playing um, Sarah's brother. Because, mm -hmm. you know, their brother and sister in 1994. That makes sense. Uh, so I don't know if it was across the board, all ancestors, but totally understand why they went with it. And it's, uh, you know, I like the fact that they didn't bring in a whole new cast. That would have made our 1994 cast seem like... Unimportant. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that was something that I hadn't really thought of previously while watching, like the fact that it was so inconsistent with the descendants and then just randomly pairing them up. Um, so that is kind of annoying. But at the same time, I didn't think about it. So I still think they pulled it off. And I think it was it was a good move. Um, so we'll get into exactly what happens with Sarah Fear in just a minute. We're going to take our first quick break and then we'll be right back. 
All right, so basically, of course, this takes place in 1666, so a lot of their activities are different than ones we might see in the 70s or the 90s. Um, they're gonna go to a party, and basically, they're just going to pick berries that will get them high. Is this what happens? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think so. Um, some some kind of drugs. It's like they're tripping from berries. <laughs> Hey man, sometimes raspberries, I guess, in 1666, um, produced hallucinogenic traits. I don't know, um, but yeah, you know, the the same kind of theme from the second movie uh, with our our main characters kind of being uh, a little bit snoopy, a little bit nosy, uh, go yeah. investigating in the woods. Uh, and the whole idea is to find these drugs for a a party, essentially, which is going on. They probably didn't call it a party back then. <laughs> I think the town is called Union, Valderin. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, Before it was divided into Sunnyside, Sunnyvale and Shadyside. I can never say both of those. <laughs> and is it, this is in Ohio, right? I'm pretty yeah. Sure. Yeah. So um, Union in 1666, Ohio didn't exist. So uh, this, uh, this town, uh, and you get a lot of vibes of, things like the witch mm -hmm. more, uh, more so the crucible i was yeah. kind of making like john proctor jokes as i watched the movie um mm -hmm. and just like it's just my name you may take everything but believe me my name <laughs> that's what i thought the entire movie um and yeah there's uh you know we, we meet our characters kind of wandering through this town they get their uh berries i guess mm -hmm. uh and they go to this gathering there's dancing you know Things that 1666ers <laughs> used to do. Uh, and one or two characters um, that kind of serve as catalysts to the plot of our flashback here. Um, one of them is Mad Thomas, who is portrayed by, uh, I believe is Macab Sly or Silas. Yeah. yeah. From seven from 78. Right. Tommy Slater, um, Cindy's boyfriend is back as Matt Thomas and he's the town drunk. He's the town, uh, I guess, uh, I don't even know Office what to describe. Rocker. What'd you say? Office rocker. Office rocker. Yeah. He's the guy who, who, you know, stirs things up and, and starts screaming yeah. witchcraft at the, the first side of, you know, anything that doesn't seem, uh, normal to him. And Jeremy Ford is back finally after biting the, the dust, uh, in part one, very quickly, and out of nowhere uh, in the hospital, he is uh, playing, uh, what's his character's name? Caleb. Caleb. Uh, yeah. And another he, jerk. Another jerk. Uh, they just keep casting our boy Jeremy as a jerk. Uh, that sucks. <laughs> um, but one thing I like here is that Caleb is interested in Hannah, who mm -hmm. is obviously Sam, which so you get that parallel there from 1994, which is cool. Um, and also the same kind of tones there with, Hannah not being interested in Caleb and Caleb kind of being like a pest and, and being jealous and, you know, it ends up unraveling as we, we get into the, the heart of 1666. But as we see here, Sarah Fear uh, and Hannah Miller have a bit of a romance going on, same as mm -hmm. Dina and Sam. So that's cool. I liked this a lot because it made Dina and Sam's relationship seem a, a, a more important because it's the same characters. Um, or same actors portraying the characters, um, but mm -hmm. 
I was able to like put face to face, but okay, cool. I totally get why they're doing this and they're establishing it a bit more because that was a common complaint we had from the first one was that Dina and Sam's relationship wasn't fleshed out as much as it needed to be. So they kind of used this flashback, I think, as a way to do that because they are the focal points of 1666. Yeah, I completely agree. I felt the same way. I think just seeing um, Sarah... (laughs) It's just so funny, but now we have four names to go back and forth between Um, Sarah and Hannah together. It's like you already kind of were thinking they might have a romance only because you associated those actresses as having a romance. So it just made complete sense as a viewer um, seeing them together. And like you said, it made it seem more um, like I bought it more about Sam and Dina just because I'm now seeing them for another hour uh, together and you know being in love and having this romance um, so I really really love that I feel like as the viewer it was more emotional that way and I think if they were random actors that were brought in for the third movie it wouldn't have been as impactful agreed I would have really liked if some way they could have tied Dina and like they tied Dina and Sarah Fear together because obviously Dina is is living through um, mm-hmm. her eyes but Hannah Miller and Samantha Fraser aren't related from what we know. It would have mm-hmm. been really cool if it was like direct descendants falling in love, then falling in love uh, 300 years later. So <laughs> that would have been uh, super cool and a nice little fun Easter egg to put in there. Uh, but yeah. either way, it's not like it, it totally breaks the movie because they don't do that. So, uh, you know, they go to this party. Uh, it gets a little wavy with the cinematography <laughs> a little shaky um but you know they uh sarah and hannah run off uh into the woods and they are spotted by somebody um and that kind of spooks them because again this is 1666 obviously the times were all a lot different back then um, mm-hmm. and you can kind of see where the movie is starting to go uh and it's very crucible like up until yeah. uh you know halfway through this uh this plot of the of the trilogy. So the next day, um, things are starting to fall apart around town. Uh, first off, there's a pig, and the pig has gone crazy and eaten all the other pigs. Um, so Sarah has to put down the pig with an axe, which was like straight out of the witch with <laughs> Thomason killing the uh, the the goat, right? Didn't goat. It? Yeah. So that was super interesting. Um, I don't know if that was like symbolism on purpose to to do anything like that but the the town water supply has also gone bad um sarah's dog mary boy has been found in the well ended up Mm -hmm. contaminating the water supply in town which is not good because they didn't have things like water companies back in 1666 and you know the first thing to do when things start to go bad around town because you know things aren't easily explained back then to, for people uh, is to shout witchcraft at the top of your lungs. And that's exactly what they do. The entire town starts to freak out. Um, panic is starting to, to spread. And as much as this has been done, I'm always like fascinated by this stuff in movies mm-hmm. uh, because this is actual stuff that happened. You know, the, the Salem witch trials and st- the whole idea of just like how far society has evolved over the past hundreds and hundreds of years to understanding like sickness and and illness and health and medicine and all that type of stuff to just see crops go bad and to shout witchcraft to me is like, I totally believe it. It's crazy. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know I have the same feeling. I love this just because it's so far removed from reality. Um, and of course, apart from witchcraft too, they're blaming, you know, the devil has come and it's like, if that happened now and someone's saying that, I would be like, there's something wrong with you. Like you really think that. Um, but back then that's how it was. And that's, you know, the same thing as, you know, the crucible type of type of story where they got to stop this evil. If that means one person's responsible and they have to kill one person, it's worth it to them because, you know, if they don't have water, if they don't have food, they're not going to make it much longer. So I thought this whole scene, I think I told you, of the town just, you know, going evil and everything was really well done and it was really creepy. And for the sake of, you know, the runtime, I know they couldn't have kept it going much longer, but I wish they did just because I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't uh, have any issues with like how fast the 1666 story transpires because this whole theme that they run with is very prevalent in other media and it's believable. It's not like it's, mm-hmm. well, wait, why is everybody going crazy all of a sudden? It's like, nah, I totally get it. Um, but as this is going on, um, Sarah you know, starts to freak out. She's worried that uh, her and Hannah were, were caught in the woods and, and bad things are going to happen to them. And while all this is going on, um, you know, Sarah's got her father and her brother, but the the one person she really connects with in Union is Solomon, who is Solomon Good, uh, like we said, portrayed by Ashley Zuckerman. Um, and they seem to be very close, very good friends. And as everything is kind of unraveling around uh, the town, she confides in him. And he's like, I trust you. I believe you. I understand what's going on. People are crazy. Mm-hmm. I need to not like you get vibes of Sheriff Good protecting Dina a little bit in 1994 and mm-hmm. young Nick doing it to Ziggy in 1978. So mm-hmm. very cool parallel. They're running here across three different times that I really, really like that. Um, but when shit really hits the fan is when they go back into town and the church is locked up and everyone's like, what's going on? We got to get into church. We got to pray to God. This is like, this is ruining my day. I must be able to go in there and pray to God. But as they go in, it turns out that pastor Miller has what we now know essentially has committed a, a shady side crime. Uh, he has locked himself in the chapel with a bunch of kids and he has murdered all of them by gouging out their eyes. And this is the goriest part of the third movie, uh, right mm-hmm. up there with the bread slicer scene from the first one and all of the axe murderings in the second one, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> but this scene is super creepy, C- you know, cements that like unsettling type of vibe for the rest of the flashback. Uh, and it's awesome. Yeah, I love this scene. I thought it was really good. And I think that everything was kind of leading up to this. Everyone was kind of like, you know, what's going on in town? What could it be? And then this happens and everyone realizes, okay, we need to figure this out now. And the town starts freaking out because um, I think it's Caleb that actually comes out and says, Sarah and Hannah are witches and they did this. And that happens really, really fast because as you can imagine, if these murders happen in town um, and they don't really have logic, um, they have to blame it on someone. So that's what they do. Yeah. Um, and you know, of course, in 1666, if, if two women are in love with each other, it has to yeah. be witchcraft, you know. Yep. So uh, that's the the whole catalyst. Caleb is the one uh, who sets our 
kind of climax uh, in the flashback into motion. And while this is going on, uh, they they end up capturing Hannah, uh, and she's kind of chained in town um, mm-hmm. to either the is it the well or the 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 chapel? She's chained somewhere in the center of town. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I like loved about this whole part of the flashback is that like Dina like goes into like super secret like spy like James mm-hmm. Bond type of mode. She's just like sneaking around town, you know. I totally get that she feels um, uneasy and, and not safe. And this was awesome. Um, but it all ends up leading to her going back to Solomon's house to confide in him uh, and to, to seek shelter there. And during this entire time, you know, we get this whole vibe that Solomon is kind of John Proctor-esque. Yeah. He's, he's there protecting Winona Ryder, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, she goes back to his house. Um, he hides her out for a little bit uh, as they come back, as the mob essentially comes back to his house to be like, open up, Solomon, we're searching our house. And he's like, you ain't searching shit. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> so, you know, definitely some interesting stuff going on there. But this is where the big kind of twist happens in the movie because mm-hmm. as Sarah is hiding out, she finds a crawl space that is very reminiscent to the crawl space found in 1978. Mm-hmm. And she goes and she crawls through it seeking shelter because, again, this is a wooden house with a bunch of open windows. And it's probably very easy to see inside and search the entire mm-hmm. house. You can't really hide behind much. Um, so she ends up going down into the cavern uh, from 1978 that is revealed. And she's kind of just like, what the hell is going on in here? Like, this doesn't look <laughs> very safe. Um, but that is when the big twist happens. Yeah. So she gets down there and then she kind of sees that, you know, witches mark in, in the ground that we've seen in the previous movies, things are kind of starting to, to come together for both her and the audience. Um, and Solomon appears and it's revealed that he is the one who called the, the devil to town and made all these terrible things happen. Yeah. And, this is, we kind of glanced over it, but they found the book in uh-huh. the, the tent when they were looking for their berries, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what to call them. I don't want to call them drugs because they're not like specifically drugs. Um, it's like wine. They're yeah. great. Yeah. Wine. Oh, that's probably totally what it is. Um, <laughs> and the book was in there and, you know, the same book from the first two movies. So we totally okay. understand what's going on here. And it's revealed through the book that the way to summon the devil to your home town place, I guess <laughs> cavern of choice um, is to read off the name of the devil in multiple languages and dialects and like mythology, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not really sure. He says like Beelzebub and Satan and <laughs> it ends with Satan. And it's like, Whoa, Satan. It's like, we didn't know. Holy crap. I thought Beelzebub was someone else. Um, but that's the spell they went with. I don't care. It's better than bibbity bobbity boo or whatever <laughs> they could have done. Um, but this is awesome. I love this twist because the entire time throughout the movie, we're believing that Seraphir is the presence that is haunting our main protagonist in 1994 mm-hmm. and 1978. But I like that it's not as obvious the 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 change that we now have in like oh. 
Sarah's not the real enemy here because as we'll get into, she ends up being framed. Um, mm-hmm. And Solomon is the one who has set all of our, uh, you know, stories into motion. Yeah. It, it's awesome. I thought this was a great twist. Totally believable and something I didn't see coming. I loved it. Yeah. I also didn't see it coming at all. Like, I, I figured that if Sarah Fear was actually haunting the town for all these years, she would have a really good um, reason. But I wasn't expecting it to be this. But, you know, in looking in retrospect, the clues were kind of there just because in each movie, either Nick Good or Solomon Good is set up as such a nice and <laughs> supportive and like a good guy character. Um, you know, in 1994, he's a cop, which some people might not think is a comforting person but you know as a symbol he's someone who's supposed to protect you um in 78 of course he protects ziggy even though at the end he doesn't really support uh her her um saying that it was sarah fear which also makes sense given what really happened back in 1666 and then this one he was the most supportive and comforting person to sarah um and it turns out just because he was trying to you know save himself yeah, the the whole offering behind the devil is that, you know, by doing this, um, he sacrifices a name. The name gets carved into the wall. Um, it's kind of like a, a blood sacrifice. And in doing so, uh, the person gets whatever they want for the, the rest of their life. And in doing so, by explaining all of this, everything else gets connected. And it's one cohesive yeah. story, which is awesome. There's no kind of loose ends. Um, and all this goes on. Sarah's like, you're no, like you're the one who brought the devil here. I'm going to tell on you, you're in trouble. Um, and unfortunately that's not what happens. Um, instead of just being like, like it could have just been like, okay, cool. Like go away, like run, get out of town, Mm -hmm. you know, both take a, try to free Hannah and take her with you and, and leave you forever. No, he's like, I found the witch. She's right here. I was like, God damn it. Okay. So he he, yeah. is, he has made his full heel turn. He is a bad guy now. Yep. And before he turns her in, he cuts her hand off while they're while they're fighting each other really quickly. So that kind of clears up the why does Seraphir not have a hand? Yeah. Um that that's why. There you go. Sure, which is a little extreme, but sure, it makes sense. Um so of course, like you said, she gets caught and she's going to be hanged. Um and you know now that, you know, everything that Sarah Fear has done after this is to prove her innocence and to prove that the goods are the evil people. So mm-hmm. everything is kind of just like mind blown. Like, okay, this is exactly the, you know, the explanation that I needed from both of these movies. Yeah. And it doesn't come off cheesy. It doesn't come off mm-hmm. corny. It doesn't come off like... Um like subversion for subversion's sake, like game of Thrones style. It's, mm-hmm. it's a cool twist. I like it. Um, the next day, the Hannah and, and Sarah brought to town square, the, the tree in town, I guess. Yeah. Whatever that is. Yeah. yeah main what, part of town, whatever they call it, main street. Um, <laughs> and while they're there, Sarah confesses that it was just her. Uh, you know, she bites the bullet. She says that, She's a witch. She's the one who coerced Hannah with witchcraft into falling in love with her. So she's safe, sacrifices herself for her true love, uh, which is 
very sad uh, because we 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 know the truth. The audience knows what's going on, um, and you feel that helplessness because like it doesn't matter what she says; they're not going to believe her that Solomon is the one who actually brought Beelzebub to town. Um, <laughs> and while this is all going on, uh, everyone in town is kind of looking on. Uh, there's mixed emotions. People are like happy. He's like, yeah, hang the witch. And mm-hmm. all of her friends, you know, all of the uh, actors that are portraying uh, characters in 1666 look on uh, saddened, uh, upset because their, their friend is, is being hung. And mm-hmm. as Solomon is setting up the noose, she recites um, kind of like a, her, Last, last word. Yeah, last words. Um, I was like, because I was like, it's not an incantation. She's not a witch. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she's saying like, for as long as time, I will always be there following you. I'll never let you forget what happened to uh, what you did to this town, yada, yada, yada. Some some cool, powerful stuff there at the end. Yeah. And then she's uh, and she's hung and there's a, um, a little bit of a ceremony at the end with... Um, some of the characters from town again portrayed by the the same actors of the 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 kids from 94 and 78 uh laying her to rest which is uh kind of how it ends and you're like wow crazy like awesome awesome flashback serves all of its purpose that it needed to uh and it's it's tight it's not too fast and it might be a little too slow for some people um which I'll kind of get into at the end when we give our our final thoughts on the entire trilogy but um, yeah, super powerful stuff here for uh, 1666. Yeah, I loved it overall. I really did. Um, so then, of course, we're going to get back into Dina and Sam and everything that happens with them in 1994 Part 2, which I thought was really, really fun. They did it that way. Um, but let's take our final break, and then we'll get right back into it. So just as Seraphir is hanged and all that happens, Dina's vision kind of just comes to a, a quick end. And of course, after everything she's seen, she is in, you know, in frantic, um, having to make moves really fast because she knows the entire twist. She knows Seraphir is innocent. She knows the good family is, um, is responsible. And they also kind of show, um, you know, visuals of it going down generation by generation and the good family, Nick Good participating in this witchcraft. Um, so we know for certain that it's still going on and it's right now it's Nick Good doing it. Um, so the consensus there is really we have to kill Nick Good for all of this to stop, which I thought, I mean, didn't see it coming at all. Yeah. And you mentioned right before the break, which was so cool, is that as it ends, they go 1994 part two mm-hmm. with that same like scream yeah. and, and title card imagery, which I thought was super cool. I love the, I, I love that stuff. Um, so to have it like conclude now, you're like, cool. Like I told, we're in the final act of the movie. Let's in the final act of this entire trilogy. Let, let's get it all done. Um, so Josh is kind of hanging out uh, on the street with the car as uh, our evil sheriff rolls up now and is like, hey, what's going on? Um, and he's like, Oh, nothing. Like, do you need help? He's like, no, I'm good. Um, and as is going on, a a chase scene ensues because Nick realizes that Dina has found out the truth about him and that he is the the bad guy of our story, which I think is 
a little quick. It's like, wait, how did? Yeah, how, how would he know? How would he know? But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's been in his family for generations. Maybe maybe he knew about the secrets of touching the hand and, and seeing the flashback. <laughs> yeah, he's also just been paranoid his whole life. He's like, someone looks at him weird, and he's like, do they know? Oh my god! Right. Um, but <laughs> the I'm I'm willing to look overlook that stuff. It's it's he, yeah. sh- he should know because he's been following this for as long as it's going on through throughout the movie. So mm-hmm. uh, they get, uh, they get chased. They end up doing kind of a, a loopy loop around the woods. They get back to the car and they head back to Ziggy's house where she reveals to, uh, to Ziggy that good is evil, which is the corniest line in the entire trilogy. <laughs> I have, or no, she reveals it to Josh. Maybe she says it to somebody, but it's yeah, the, it's the it's corniest. It's it's the corniest line. She's like, "Good is evil," and I'm like, Ugh. "It's the same thing with the, the second." We don't need to spell it out, yeah. It's like, wait, you're Ziggy? Like, oh, come on. I let's make our 1994 characters smarter, smarter, because a lot of things that they're doing in the movie make them seem really smart. Let's not make them sound yeah. stupid. Um, but you know, they go back to to Ziggy's house and. As everything is kind of uh, revealed for all of our characters, the plan is to now kill the sheriff, which, mm-hmm. again, we have escalated very much in 1994 from, like, again, stealing an ambulance, stealing a cop's gun, breaking into a school, committing arson in a school, <laughs> breaking into a supermarket. And now our final plan is to kill the sheriff. So. We have we have hit our our final act and final plan of 1994, which I thought is like it was a little funny because they're just like all of the characters are just like yeah we got to kill the sheriff that's the only yeah. answer now that's what we got to do we can't turn him in or anything he's got to die I'm like okay cool <laughs> let's let's do it I know it's funny I feel like the last act was a little bit rushed but at the same time I was kind of tired by the end of it and I wanted it to end not that I like was hating the movie and wanted it to end but I just wanted this curse to be done I wanted them to find a solution so I think it being kind of rushed worked for me what I wasn't really sure if they needed was after uh they decide that they're gonna you know have to kill Nick they figure out they're gonna do some type of home alone plan to, to set him up and everything like that they get um the mall janitor who I actually really, really like as an actor. I think he's really funny, but I just think it was an extra scene that I guess was meant for comic relief and I didn't really love it. I was like, let's just speed this shit up already. Yeah, so Martin, um, (laughs) who we met briefly in 1994, uh, who's portrayed by uh, Daryl Britt Gibson, who's been Mm -hmm. in The Wire, Californication, uh, Power on Stars. So many shows. Yeah, a lot of shows. there, you know, as our trio is is putting the plan together, um, Josh is like, "Wait, we need someone else." And they show up to Martin's. Where are they? They're outside something. And yeah, is he like he's like selling something to kids or something? I don't even remember to be honest. I can't remember. But either way, they go to recruit him, which is like, mm-hmm. um, okay, cool. Like you need someone else for your plan. And Josh is like, "Hey, do you want to help kill the sheriff?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm in." And now it makes sense that, you know, the sheriff was antagonizing him in the first yeah. movie by like setting him up with the paint cans. Yeah. And it now makes sense because we thought that when, you know, he said in the jail scene, he's like, actually, Martin, these are now my paint cans 
where he's like, actually, Martin, these are my paint cans. And I was like, oh, does he mean that now they belong to him or something like that? Right, just right. Confiscating him and doing like shady cop stuff. No, in fact, those were he his spray cans, him. and he was the one who set him up. So he's just a scumbag. Um, so we now have our our, our holy. Uh, what's not? What's that? What's what's after a trinity? Uh, foursome. <laughs> there you go. We have our holy foursome uh, heading to the mall to, like you said, enact a Home Alone plan, which I thought was kind of funny, um, but. It's actually pretty intricate with how they plan to set everything up. I like that they make the most of their resources uh, that they have. Uh, the mall is our final scene, so we've come full circle when it mm-hmm. comes to beginning in the mall and ending in the mall. Um, life is a circle. Movies are a circle. <laughs> um, because, you know, the the mall is built in where the, where the tree is. That everybody knows from the second movie where... Uh, the hand was hidden. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I messed it up in our last review for part two. I was like, the tree is on the campsite or something like that. I messed that up. So <laughs> apologies. It's in the mall. And the mall yeah. is where they set everything up. And this plan, like I said, is pretty intricate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's kind of Carrie-esque, which of course is a movie and a book that was um, that was referred to in 1978. Uh, they need Dina's blood and how they're going to use it as a decoy is basically they want to uh, pour a bucket, which I'm also like, how much blood could you really get out of her? I don't know. But they have a bucket that has some of Dina's blood and the plan is to pour it over Nick. So then all of the Seraphir henchmen are going to go after him now. Right. Which is. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Um but in real life, it wouldn't work out that well. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, also, as we, we we might have forgot to mention, we have we have our holy foursome going on here. Um, but of course, Sam is still there. She's still possessed. Mm-hmm. They, they've just like kind of like chained her to a uh, a grill in one of the food court places. <laughs> She's just like hanging out there. Um, so as all that is going on, um, the plan is pretty unique uh it's definitely an evolution of all the other plans that they, they've had so our yeah. character is definitely getting smarter they're not speaking smarter which is annoying me because <laughs> the dialogue is definitely bad at times in this movie but mm-hmm. um our characters have evolved over the course of these three movies which is great um they've got water guns which kind of act as blood guns now essentially mm-hmm. um and the whole idea is to use the gates that mall stores use when they shut down for the night um, to protect them from the evil uh, shady side killers. The only thing I didn't like about this whole plan is not anything about the plan. It just has to do with the decision to use like black lights and neon colors throughout the entire thing. I didn't like that at all. I wish it was just kind of lit up with, you know, lights from shooting and everything like that. And they used actual blood. I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really a fan of the the neon stuff. That might have been a way to avoid. Um, is this an R-rated movie? I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is okay. So yeah. Yeah, they could have done it. I, I didn't. I didn't like the neon colors. They're trying to catch a vibe. I like. <laughs> it was pretty aesthetic. Yeah, I don't know. It was a little little corny to me. Yeah, I would have much preferred our characters kind of be like drenched in blood from this crazy series that's going on here. But the plan ends up working. Uh, the the Axeman, uh, the Skull Kid, 
Ruby Lane and the creepy is it the milkman? Mm, yeah, maybe. Some creepy looking dude. And also a kid with a two by four. Which yeah. is the, the the creepiest one of them all. Um they all ended up getting lured to the mall. The plan works. Um Ziggy is used as bait to lure the sheriff in. Mm-hmm. The carry plan goes to uh goes off without a hitch and he gets covered in blood and the the show is it's it's on. The the final fight is on. Yeah, but he doesn't get killed right, right away. <laughs> right away. So he manages to escape um for now and then uh then we have this whole thing too. I feel like a lot it was very rushed, but then there's too many things happening because Sam um Sam leaves, right? Or she gets out of the chains. Yeah. So the, the whole thing is that like the, the blood the, also, this is awesome because I loved when the killers got drenched in blood and they started fighting each other. I thought that was, yeah, that, that was so funny. That was like their last ditch resort because they mm-hmm. were, they were like, okay, crap. What do we do now? Um, and it's fun just watching unkillable monsters. It's like Freddy versus Jason. They just fight each other. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, Nick attacks Dina, um, nearly killing her, uh, after a chase scene where, uh, Dina ends up running into the kind of underground kind of storage part of the mall, mm-hmm. which yeah. is connected to the, our, our cavern. Um, so while all of that is going on, Sam escapes and she runs down and then Ruby Lane shows up, uh, more towards the end and she attacks Josh and now Josh is in trouble because they're, they're out of bullets. They don't have a gun anymore. They're out of blood and Josh is covered in Dina's blood. So two, uh, kind of life or death scenes going on here. I totally mm-hmm. agree. A lot going on. We're definitely missing yeah. some things. So like <laughs> not to like completely spoil the entire movie, but there's a lot going on in this small scene. I know. Yeah. And to be honest, like, so I watched this, what, a week and a half ago, but I don't remember every single detail because there was just a lot going on that it didn't keep my attention for all of it. Like, I, w- I was happy things were happening, but I wish it was kind of just a little bit easier based on, like, everything else that has happened in the movie. Um, my attention span just wasn't as there as much. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wait. So Nick runs underground the mall to, to the mm-hmm. underground part of the mall and when then, he escapes yeah. right and then dina chases after him which leads sam to chase after dina that makes sense and while all that's going on let, let, let's cover the the underground stuff first because that's the more important stuff um mm-hmm. uh dina on the verge of dying ends up being able to push um nick into the the big slime part thing, the sludge thing that was very confusing. Um, yeah. But it's the heart of the devil, Beelzebub. Yeah. Um, and in doing so, he gets all the visions of everything that's going on. You know, that we know that if you touch any bit of anything, you get crazy visions. Uh, and that's enough to stun him, which gives Dina the upper hand. She ends up killing him and in doing so, causes everybody else to vanish. The curse has been broken. Round of applause for Dina. Good job. Um, her her hero's journey is complete. She has defeated the villain. Um, Sam is freed of her possession. 
thank God, finally. Yeah, um, all of the killers are gone. And, and now it's time to kind of clean the mess up because things are crazy. And in doing so, Dina and Sam wander their way out of the cavern and into somebody's house. And I was like, what the hell is going I was like, we're not done. There's more twists about to happen. But no, they're just bloodied up and, and you know, gross from rolling around in a <laughs> life or death fight in a cavern. Um, and they're in Sunnyvale. So somehow they wandered into somebody's nice, rich home in, in Sunnyvale. They step outside and a car backs out of a driveway <laughs> and gets plowed by a dumpster truck, which is to insinuate that the the curse is over. Nothing good is going to happen um, or nothing or Sunnyvale is not going to be perfect forever anymore, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which we'll, we'll kind of talk about in our, our wrap up of the entire movies um, because I think that's important to talk about when it comes to what was the entire curse Good really, point. really about. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was funny. It was like, Oh, okay. Well now Sunnyvale sucks too, or just life is back to normal in Sunnyvale. Bad things are going to happen. People are going to die. Um, mm-hmm. Sheriff Good is, is, pronounced on uh, the news as the Sunnyvale killer. He was the one doing everything, which is uh, interesting because I don't know. How did they know? Yeah, they, they, they kind of figured all that out really quickly. So uh, they had to just take Dina and, and Ziggy and Sam's word and Josh's word for it, I guess, because the other cops died in the mall um, mm-hmm. during the whole final fight scene. So that is... Uh, I, whatever. I, I don't really care that they didn't go into the whole thing explaining it, but yeah, that that's what they chose to do. Our, our, they took our main character's word for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So then we're kind of basically at the very end here. Um, we have, of course, our final scene is with Dina and Sam. They're finally together and they feel, you know, safe. Finally, they can be together. They're enjoying a nice day and they uh, go to Sarah Fear's grave. They're kind of, you know, giving their whatever you say at a gravesite. They're talking about how, you know, fortunate they were to find out the truth and that they were, you know, very grateful for Sarah Fear. Um, and yeah, there's a really good part. I love how just how Dina says, you know, we're still here because of her. They're really, really um, remembering her legacy. And I thought that was really, really nice because, you know, at the end of all this, she was supposedly the villain and she was not at all so i love how they were able to you know memorialize her even if it was just them two together yeah some justice for her at the end um and we get uh, a scene of josh going to school and we end up finding out who queen of air and darkness was yes um, because (laughs) he, he starts to i guess crush on a girl um and she writes on his cast from the broken arm that Ruby Lane gave him, uh, gave him queen of air and darkness. I was like, and he was like, wait, he was like, I was like, okay, cool. Josh is going to have a happy life. Yeah. He was my favorite. So happy for him and our, our credits roll. And in a mid credit scene, which I didn't think was necessary, but yeah. they did it anyway. Um, the, the satanic book that was left in the cavern, uh, which is like, why did we just leave that there? We should probably go back and grab that. Um, Destroy it. Someone is seen taking it. So if they want to do more That's movies, bad. they now have the book and someone else could do it. So maybe 
when we do like a fun retrospective on this in like a year or so and be like, all right, our top five picks for who took the book brought, yeah. brought to you by Manscaped, 20% off using the code Manscaped at checkout. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't think that was necessary. Yeah, me either. I think that, you know, I know the director of these movies has come out and said like she would love to make more movies in the universe, not exactly Fear Street Part 4. So I think you could have done that without a post-credit scene. Like there's still lore to this town and anything that's based on, you know, R.L. Stein books that you can make something of. Totally. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that is it. That is Fear Street 3 or Part 3, 1666 slash 1994 part two. Part two, um, yeah. That is um, that is it. That is the entire trilogy. It, let's get into kind of our final thoughts on the movie because the one thing I definitely want to talk about uh, is the whole motivations behind summoning the devil mm-hmm. because it's not truly explained, but we're kind of led to assume that you know Solomon summoned it because he wanted whatever he wanted in life. And that was power. Yeah. Right. Which is cool. I totally get that. Um, What we don't get is how things got to the way they were in 1994, like was part of the curse and part of the goods uh, kind of motivation to be like, we want a town where everything is perfect and nothing bad ever happens. And Nick was like, yeah, I want to be the cop in the bad town and I don't want to ever die, but I want to always be the hero and I will kill everybody. So it's a little convoluted there. Basically. I kind of thought it was, he was the cop in shady side just so he could monitor like everything that was going on. Maybe. Probably. But he does say something in his final fight with Dina where he's like, they're going to give me a medal and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. and, and, And you'll be another shady sider gone crazy or something like that. Yeah. I was like, is that like, it doesn't make sense to be like, my grand plan for happiness is to be the guy that saves everything. And I'm like, okay. Like, yeah. If if that's the motivations, then it is what it is, but it wasn't explained. Yeah, I kind of just figured they came from a long line of insecurities and just teaching your kid of like, this is what we need to do to, you know, be powerful, to be rich. Shady side sucks and we need to keep this town pure or something like i buy that just because people are people are fucking weird when they want money (laughs) yeah all the themes of like fame fortune security like everlasting happiness in life and stuff like that i totally get that stuff um i just wish it was kind of explained a bit more um yeah because it is a very intense and wild thing to do yeah, and to, to set up summoning the devil. Yeah, and to set up over however many generations it is that they do um, mm-hmm. for the good family. So that was interesting. Though one thing I was super interested in now, because I, my girlfriend brought it up, was that, or yeah, uh, is that Nick used the powers in 1978 to bring Ziggy back to life. That's how she survived being oh. stabbed. Because again, you can't give CPR to somebody who has I mean, a rating. I mean, I'll take it because that was something that we were annoyed about. Like, yeah, that she was able to be brought back to life. Okay, yeah, I buy it. Like, she he was in love with her so much that he used the curse to bring her back to life. Mm-hmm. That's not explained. I think it's yeah, but it could. I buy it. I buy it too. Um, who knows? Um, if 
I wish that was explained because I think that's super cool that he was like, yeah, there's part of me. Like, it's obviously still selfish that he's bringing the girl he likes back to life using the power yeah. of Beelzebub. But, um, <laughs> you know, his whole motivations are kind of shot to shit. It's kind of Solomon's motivations that are portrayed onto Nick because mm-hmm. all we know of him for the first two movies is that he's kind of Dewey like. He's not yeah. he's not goofy, but he's he wants to be the hero. He wants to save the mm-hmm. day. He loves Ziggy, um, and it's just instantly like you're a piece of shit, <laughs> and that's it. We got to roll. Um, so yeah, I I'm willing to bet that my girlfriend was right on that. Yeah, it makes more sense. I want that to be true, so I'm just gonna say yes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so yeah, the the whole witch's curse is. Or Devil's Curse, rather. Um, yeah. I wish got a little bit more uh, exposition in this one. I know they had to use a lot of time to set up yeah. the, uh, the 1666 landscape, which is my next point that I want to bring up with you is the pacing of this movie. Because I was talking also with my girlfriend about how 1994 is by far the fastest of the movies. Mm-hmm. They don't stop ever. Um 1978 is probably the best paced of the bunch. I think so. And then 1666 is kind of slow in the beginning. And then it speeds up a lot. Yeah. I almost wish, like, I don't think they should have done another movie. But if they were to just do Fear Street 1994 Part 2 as its own movie, it would have given a lot more time to flesh out 1666, which I, I mean, I just really enjoyed it. I don't think we needed more things explained, but just selfishly, I would have loved to see more from that world. And then with 94, it was super rushed and they're, they're fitting too many things in a small amount of time that it honestly just wasn't, it wasn't as well done to me as I wanted it to be. Agreed. But, you know, I'm sure as the, the third one in the trilogy, we're like, some of the filmmakers like, all right, we got to just like get this to the point already. Yeah, We've mm-hmm. done, uh, done a lot of exposition, but I agree. A fourth movie would have, I think only helped. It might've yeah. like killed people's interest in it, but it would have made it a better quadrilogy in the sense. What do you think if this was a mini series instead, or just like a one series show? Ooh, like did like three seasons, five episodes each or something like that. Yeah, or just like one season, like 10 episodes or something. Because hmm. then it would just give in like a little bit more time. That would have been interesting. Um, I fear sometimes with episodes, Fear Street, Fear. Uh, um, <laughs> fear, Fear. Like this is, did you finish Loki? No. Okay, so I won't spoil it. But one of my complaints okay. with Loki is that some of the episodes are a little pointless. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of just did episodes to do episodes. Um, and I worry that Fear Street might have fallen into that kind of trap. Yeah. So I think it would have worked. They just had to have, they would have had to be careful and adding only the right amount of exposition, which is always difficult. It's not, there's never a time where someone's like, it's perfect. 45 minutes of exposition, and that is it. And we'll explain Mm -hmm. everything, and it'll be cohesive and Mm -hmm. concise. And everyone will be like, you did it. You solved exposition. But, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. A, a miniseries would have been interesting. It might have also just been too much of a Stranger Things clone. Yeah, that's very true. And like we said, we love the the three movies released once a week. Um, 
So yeah, it would have it would have been interesting, but I think I like the movies more. Is the second one still your favorite? Yeah, so we can get into ranking them now. I still think so. <laughs> I think the second one is is my top. Um, I would go as far. I think part three is probably my second favorite, and then just by nature of process of elimination, the first one is at the bottom of the group, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. If the trilogy gets better as it goes on, that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I would definitely put number two as my first spot. I'm, I don't know. I really did like the number, the first one, but I think the third one, I was more invested, of course, with the characters. I cared more, and I really loved the story of Sarah Fear, so I think I'll also have to do number three in the second spot. Cool. So yeah, we are aligned on that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's not like it's a bad movie putting it at three. Mm-hmm. The it's just process of elimination. The the second one is too good to not put anywhere. It it has to go in number one. Agreed. I have too many faults with the first one. <laughs> yeah. But um. Yeah, fun fun watch. Really nice treat for this uh this summer. Uh, if you guys haven't watched these movies and you've listened to the reviews, I know people do that all the time. They watch like Dead Meets Kill Counts and then they'll go and watch the movie, um, mm-hmm. which I think is like super cool. Um, it does spoil the movie a little bit, but like, it's a good way to like, see if you're going, if the movie's for you or if it's not too scary or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. So if you guys listen to these reviews and you haven't watched the movie yet, uh, go ahead and watch them. I think they're, they're fun. They're not too scary. The first one is, is too jump scare focused, which annoys me. Yeah. Um, but if you're, not as susceptible to jump scares. Um, they're not, again, they're not like super scary, like paranormal kind of jump scares. It's, it's very scream. I know what you did last summer type of jump scares. So give them a watch. Uh, we recommend this trilogy wholeheartedly. Yeah, absolutely. I really, really enjoyed watching them. And I, I loved like bits and pieces of everyone. Definitely. The second one is, is outstanding, but um, yeah, that was awesome. So definitely let us know, anyone listening, if you agree with our ranking, if you think we were totally wrong or absolutely right, let us know. Um, you can leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts, ask us any questions there, or you could just tweet at us. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Natalie Zamora with two A's at the end, and Max is at Odd Slice. So as always, let us know what you're thinking about the podcast, and we'll see you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.